Chapter Twenty Four of the Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter Twenty Four Dust to Dust, Ashes to Ashes, and Then the New Life Morn. The next day, Robert passed in almost unrelieved solitude, for Arndt had been compelled to go with Chandler to Clyde to attend to the disposition of the body of chambers, which still lay at the morgue, and to distribute the money left in their care. When they came to that part of their duties, they recollected the widow of the operator killed by the sheriff, and although his name was not on the list furnished by chambers, they immediately went to see the woman they found that her husband had been buried on the preceding day, that she had spent almost her last dollar in funeral expenses, and that she had nothing to depend upon except her own labor to support herself and three children. It did not take them long to reach the decision which appropriated a third of the money left by Chambers to her permanent relief and when they had divided the remainder among the parties named on the list and sent checks for the amounts to the recipients of his bounty they drew a sigh of relief what an accursed system it is said chandler how it breeds vice and crime and hatred revenge and remorse time and again i have been heartsick while prosecuting criminals in the courts and often i have felt the utter futility of the whole procedure Arndt made no reply, but after a few moments, and just before taking leave of his friend, he said, I have a little, the bitterest thing of all yet to do. The works start tomorrow, and I shall not be in them, and I find myself just about bankrupt. There is a little coming to me on my pay from Mr. Endy, but I cannot escape accepting Robert's proposition. He wants to go abroad at once, and come in contact with the leaders of the socialist movement in foreign lands, and study, for say six months or so, and he insists that I shall go with him, saying that the money we will use belongs as much to me as to him, since it was left in trust for the cause, and I suppose that if we are to do effective work it would be a wise move. But you, who have known me all my life, can imagine how I feel about going on such terms. I am wild to be doing for the cause, not receiving from it. But Hartley says that Robert is right, that it will be best for the cause to have things quiet down for a while, and let the workers find out for themselves just what Martinvale is going to do with and for them, and that both of us need rest and change and time to forget the bitterness which we are at present bound to feel. Well, certainly my own sense of my ignorance of how to go to work at this new business, and of what is best to do and not to do, is great enough, God knows. Still, of all the bitter things that ever I had to do, this is the bitterest. What about Nettie? his friend inquired. Then Art told him all and added, So far as she is concerned, there would be little difference between my being across the Atlantic or being in Stilton and, in fact, I could not make a living in Steelton today. I am blacklisted, you are aware. I shall feel easier about her and Annie, knowing that you and your good wife will do all you can for them while I am away. I shall give my pet to Nettie before I leave. 
and then he said good-bye and hastened to the station on the train he saw baker and went over to where he was seated and exchanged seats with the gentleman beside him as soon as arndt was comfortably fixed he said well did you and the others who stood by me yesterday obey orders and attend mr craggie's funeral today not much we didn't said baker and i'll tell you that while there was a tremendous crowd i didn't hear of any socialists being there and many a member of the union at clyde was absent no sir there were telegrams or condolence sent to his relatives by every crowned head on the globe we didn't send any instead the five of us called a meeting and told all who attended just how you had been treated and how they had lost by calling the strike off at this time and i think that the news is spreading rapidly now we want a copy of that plan of mr endy's that martinvale agreed to put in operation and we are going to publish it i will have to consult robert endy about that said arndt for mr endy himself at the last saw that it had not been accepted as he intended it and that it would be used like all similar plans simply to defer the coming in of socialism he died an avowed socialist, and his son stands pledged to use his wealth to further that cause. That explains it, said Baker. What? The order to start the mills tomorrow, the order that says that every man who does not report tomorrow morning will have to hunt another job. Now you see how it is. You must not blame the men. They will just simply have to be working at the hours set for the burial of the man who did more for them than any other mortal ever did. Arndt said sadly, I shall not blame them, but after this I do not see how they can call themselves free. Martinvale owns them. What does a brass tag more or less matter to a man that dares not attend the funeral of his best friend? Martinvale could very well yield on that point. Baker hung his head in shame as he said, about that best friend business, you know. Didn't Mr. Endy revoke that will and give everything to his son and refuse to aid the strikers further at the last? That's the song and dance that the true man Click are putting up for us now. Arndt said hotly, That is another of those damnable half-truths that such men as Martinvale feed to the toilers by the hands of such traitors as Truman, and which we, the workers, always swallow without chewing. Mr. Enty withdrew no support from the men, for he had had the assurance of Martinvale, which made the end of the strike no further off than the first of March, and he simply gave all instead of a part of his estate to the workers when he bequeathed it to Robert Endy with instructions to use it for socialism. I myself wrote Truman about it and informed him fully of all the facts. I know, I know, I understand said baker but you can see how it is that Truman was able to muster such a crowd at craggie's funeral today they think that mr endy deserted them and that Truman and martinvale are their saviors and both of them ordered the men to turn out arndt smiled bitterly and then baker said and then you know there's always an unaccountable number who are glad for the chance at a free trip ten miles up the river to a twenty million dollar mausoleum no matter whose funeral it is and no matter who they honor by going i prefer the blacklist 
"'Don't let it make you bitter against the boys,' said Arndt. "'Just remember that we have socialism to thank for not being duped ourselves. Their time for seeing things straight is near at hand. Robert knows Martinvale well, and has been telling me some things about him. What are you going to do for a living?' They were leaving the car when Arndt asked this question. "'Faith, and I don't know.' said Baker carelessly as he turned to go. But I'm an able-bodied, skilled mechanic, and willing to work, and even though the union has shook me, I don't feel less competent to earn a living than heretofore, and I don't propose to starve in a land of plenty, simply because others have my share of the universe locked up. Go and see Hartley, said Arndt. He has a new fund, and will set you to work." Arndt found it rather a bitter thing to be compelled to inform his friend of what to expect, but he felt that it would be cruel not to do so. As it turned out, there was a much better and larger attendance than they had any reason to expect under the circumstances, for some of the men saw through things, and asserted their manhood, and defied the order, and Hartley brought all the socialists he could muster in Clyde. After all was over, Hartley and his wife went back with the family party to the mansion, and that same afternoon Annie and Nettie accompanied them to their home in Clyde to begin their new life. Robert and Arndt delayed their departure until after the first of March. Robert had readily agreed to the publication of his father's plan in full, but he did not let Baker send any of the booklets out until the next day, that is, the second. On the first, he attended the meeting of stockholders of the Iron and Steel Company and confronted Martin Vale with it, and demanded to know whether he intended to keep the promise he had made to Robert Endy Sr. Martin Vale replied sarcastically, "'Do I intend to give away millions to the workers needlessly? The whole situation changed the instant Mr. Craggy died. My promises are always made conditionally.' Robert had had a copy of the plan of reorganization handed to each person present, and he simply turned his back on Martin Vale, who was presiding, and addressed them, saying, "'Every gentleman that wishes to have as presiding officer of this corporation a man whose promises cannot be relied on can secure such an officer by voting for the present incumbent. For myself, I prefer an honest man.' There were a few who voted against Martinvale on account of the occurrence, but the vast majority, when they read of the generous provision for the welfare of the workers that set forth in the plan, simply censured him for having ever agreed to the proposal at all. Robert took great pleasure in voting every share of his own and all the proxies he had been able to secure against Martinvale not, however, with any hope of defeating him, but only as a moral protest against his acts and his treachery. After the meeting he told Chandler to not sell any stock or bonds of the company, since it was evident that the workers were going to be fleeced to the quick, and that the only way for them to ever get anything in return would be to read the socialist literature he had instructed Hartley to send out at his expense. On their return from that exciting meeting, both Robert and Arndt realized as they drew up before the door of the mansion how impossible it would have been for them to have continued to live there. The place seemed as silent and lifeless as the tomb. 
the faces of the servants were sad and the whole atmosphere of the place was so depressing that robert said aren't we must leave here by the ten o'clock express i simply cannot endure it there will be no difficulty about that aren't replied everything has been arranged and rollins will be in charge and doesn't need many orders leaving now will give us more time for farewells and clyde to-morrow you know that is the bright side of this cloud comrade it was then almost sunset and by eight o'clock they were out of the house and on their way to the graveyard they had left the mansion on foot and not one word was spoken until they stood beside the mound of bare brown earth that covered the remains of robert's father then arndt said sadly as he leaned against the rough-cut granite rock that bore the names of macdonald and endy the day when the working men of the world shall make pilgrimages to this spot is not yet but so surely as there is justice in the heavens that day will come and may i be alive to see it then robert stepped to his side and said when will the workers learn to know and stand by their friends that is the most discouraging thing about it all now i should say nothing for i was doing my best to bind their chains the tighter on them but that they should turn against you who but Arndt stopped him. It was only a few of the leaders. The rank and file never did, or at least could not help themselves. It seems that there are certain lessons that the race must be taught, and they can be taught and learned in but one way. I was one of the men that consented to place almost dictatorial power in the hands of a few. I thought it was necessary in order to checkmate Craggy. I am not going to cry out. I am reaping what I sowed. It is bitter, certainly, but there are compensations even in this. It is worth a great deal to a man who has been almost totally blind to see clearly. I never before understood why all the efforts of the workers to emancipate themselves or even to better their condition resulted in failure now i see clearly that each and every such movement had in itself the seed of death and dissolution nettie was emphatically right any movement that seeks to better the condition of but a class is doomed in its very essence it is selfish as selfish as the rich the wage worker who wishes to thrive at the expense of the farmer is just as bad as his employer the socialist whose socialism is not broad enough to take in all workers in all lands whether they work with the hand or the brain has his socialism still to learn his kind will never succeed nor indeed should it the world is big enough for all and there is happiness enough in the universe to go around the union is all right in its place and I shall remain an active worker in the Union till I die. But its place is as an equal part in an organic whole that must be as wide as the world and as broad as the human race, and that the Union itself can never be. I will never again work for anything less than that. It took my recent bitter experience to teach me this. You can't have anything but men as narrow as true man as leaders in a narrow movement. It is folly to expect it. If broad-minded men stay in the movement, they are sure to advocate something beyond it. 
again i was one of those men who made the mistake of advising our men to submit to the law which compelled them to undergo military training and as a logical consequence of that error we told them to shoot in order to protect property now the man or cause that values human life less than property deserves to fail i was a slave to the middle class neither more nor less then they left the graveyard and robert did not reply until they were well on their way to the depot when he said i had not reasoned that out but i feel that your conclusion is correct as lowell said how can any man be truly free while there is a single slave on the face of the earth that needs no answer said arndt and then there was silence between them until they came to that spot in the road from which the last view of the twinkling lights of the mansion could be had and they instinctively turned and glanced that way then robert asked arndt charlie what shall i do with that it isn't right to have it standing idle in a world where so many are homeless that beautiful old house and grounds must be doing somebody some good his friend replied promptly you have taken my words out of my mouth how would it do to have chandler make all the preparations quietly and get the names of a lot of socialist orphans who need a home and then when all is ready tell annie and nettie about it as a surprise i think that annie would easily imagine herself in heaven if she were daily training a bunch of little fellows in socialism and at the same time giving them a foretaste of what the cooperative commonwealth will one day do for all children and nettie would be delighted to aid personally and financially i know you've struck it exactly said robert enthusiastically i will support it out of my private means if others do not care to assist why didn't i think of it i will tell chandler to give the preference to the children of those men whose work for the cause has kept them poor it is the very thing we will attend to it to-morrow arndt was rejoiced to see how cheerful robert had become and he did not interrupt his happy thoughts with useless words a short distance further on they passed the house that cassidy called home march had come in like a lamb and the window opening on to the street was raised as they involuntarily paused the voice of cassidy was heard addressing his children now then youngsters just one more song this night what shall it be toilers arise toilers arise was the instant and unanimous decision robert and arndt stood there in the dark and listened to that best and noblest song and battle call of labor until the last word and note had died away and as they started again towards their destination arndt said would to god that the poet's vision were true this moment and that the long long night were over carpenter one of the world's great poets a socialist wrote it you know robert said candidly no i did not know poetry and song have been strangers to me since the day i threw the rein on the neck of soul-destroying ambition that is the first time i ever heard it and i shall never forget that time it is truly a noble soul-stirring song i believe that if we could get them all singing it with the understanding as well as with the voice we might bring in that brighter day and soon you are right aren't you are right we sing too little 
the only chance to forget the past and escape the ghosts that haunt its memories is to sing arndt knew well to what particular ghost robert referred he had hesitated to speak to him on the subject now he replied emphatically there are some ghosts that can't be laid i would at once call arthur off that case and let the ghost reappear or not as the future may determine from what we know of chambers we may readily conclude that he stopped at nothing to make certain of success he was desperate for he realized that his time was short and that the thing he had set out to do was still uncertain of accomplishment robert did not reply until they had arrived at the station and secured their tickets and were pacing arm in arm up and down the platform waiting for the fast approaching train that was to bear them away for so long a time from the dear and familiar scenes and then he said again you are right that is the proper course to pursue i'm glad that you agree with me said arndt heartily it is dust to dust ashes to ashes let the dead past bury its dead we face the untried future it belongs to love to friendship and to the comrade cause can it be wholly dark and without waiting for any reply he in the same low-voiced and sympathetic tone that nettie had listened to on that night she never will forget said ay dust to dust ashes to ashes and from dust and ashes this and from out the lives of the countless slaves that have toiled and prayed and died and from out their dust deep deep in graves and on summits for which they tried and from out their ashes that then held fire and from out their breath of prayer on the morrow shall bloom your heart's desire with its roots in the ashes there oh the ashes and dust oh the ashes and dust and the blood and the tears it takes but the blooms and the leaves and the stems say must and the fruit full repayment makes and the morrow shall dawn perchance next morn when the fruit shall be plainly seen o oh, heart's desire that is never a thorn for the hand of a child to glean the end end of chapter twenty four end of the recording angel by edwin arnold brenholtz